This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvagi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. The Massachusetts Bay Transit Authority moves between 600,000 and 1 million riders into and around the greater Boston economy every single day. Famous for being the first subway in the nation, the T is also notorious for service failures, such as those during the snow apocalypse of 2015, as well as a long string of safety incidents, from green line train collisions, red line escalator malfunctions, orange line train fires, and deaths from passengers caught in doors and drivers struck by passing trains. The safety failures of the T have not gone unnoticed by riders, whose numbers are still substantially lower than pre-pandemic levels, and more recently by federal overseers who have audited the system and found its safety oversight structurally and organizationally inadequate. As Massachusetts welcomes a new governor to the statehouse and looks to appoint a new general manager for the T, the safety and success of the T must concern everyone as it stands as the linchpin to our region's continued economic success. What choices should we make to substantially improve the safety of the T and to cultivate a mass transit system that riders will use and trust? My guest today is former Director of Transportation for Massachusetts and former candidate for State Auditor, Chris Dempsey. Mr. Dempsey, along with MBTA Advisory Board Executive Director Brian Payne, wrote a provocative opinion piece for Commonwealth Magazine entitled, Digging into Safety Oversight Options for the T, Status Quo is Not Working, Change is Needed, suggesting that better T rider safety could be realized with a more specialized, independent, and better resourced safety oversight committee. Mr. Dempsey will share with us where current structural inadequacies exist and identify alternatives that create transit-specific safety expertise and the independence needed to ensure riders are safe. When I return, I'll be joined by transportation advocate and expert, Chris Dempsey. Okay, we're back. I'm Joe Salvaggi, this is Hubwonk, and I'm now pleased to be joined by transportation advocate, Chris Dempsey. Welcome back to Hubwonk, Chris. Joe, it's great to be back with you and your listeners. Thank you. Well, um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the topic of a, a paper uh, that you just uh, wrote for for Commonwealth Magazine. But before we get into uh, the present, let's do a little um, uh, uh, talk about the past. You've recently gone through a, a challenging campaign. Uh, you ran for state auditor. Uh, you were unsuccessful, but I thought you made a, an excellent candidate and made some great points. Uh, because it speaks to the topic we're going to be uh, discussing later, which is essentially how do we make sure our government agencies we trust with our dollars and our safety? How do we uh, ensure that we get the best bang for our buck uh, and uh, get safe and effective uh, government um, oversight? So um, before we talk about the T, let's talk about uh, what motivated you to run for our state auditor. Well, Joe, it's a little bit of an obscure office for people, and I think it's obscurity uh, hurt my chances in some ways because we felt that we did very well with informed and engaged voters, but that was probably a minority of voters. According to the polling, only about 30% of voters knew me or my opponent uh, on the day of the election, and there were more blank votes than the margin of victory in my race. Um, but as obscure as it may be, I think the state auditor's office is a tremendously important one. It's one of six statewide elected positions, and it's all about accountability. 
has a team of about 200 auditors and analysts, and we send them into every corner of the executive branch of state government to figure out what's working and what's not working and how things need to change. And its ability to directly influence policy is relatively limited, but it has a real potential and opportunity to influence policy through the use of the bully pulpit and by calling out government where it's not working so that we can force it to be better and hold it accountable. Um, I was particularly attracted to this role because I've been inside the state bureaucracy and I've seen it working well and I've seen it work not so well, including significant amount of waste that can, can and has to be addressed. But you also know, of course, that I was the leader of the grassroots group No Boston Olympics back in 2014 and 2015. And that was again about accountability to taxpayers to make sure that we were not going off in the wrong direction and spending billions of dollars on a three-week sporting event when we have so many other urgent public needs. So uh, just one more question about this. Again, it's a, a, a an elected office. You become part of government, uh, and then your role, if you were ha had been a successful um, state auditor, would have been to hold government accountable. How does government, you know, what, what are the elements of creating a government agency that effectively, you know, uh, uh, protects us from government waste. How, yeah. how does that work? How, how does it not get swept up and captured by the bureaucracy? Well, I think it's important that the auditor's office is elected independently. Uh, it's not appointed by others in government. It's responsible only to the people. And it provides that opportunity to be honest with the public. Uh, there's sort of, in my mind, two main components there. The first is you have to make sure that you are um, accurate and factual in your findings and your conclusions. Um, it's tremendously important that the auditor be a trusted office. If it's not trusted, then there's really no point in having the office um, because, because you have to be um, seen as a credible umpire, so to speak, uh, uh, as, you're, as you're opining on or drawing conclusions about state government. I think the other important uh, goal or or um, requirement of the office is that you're an effective communicator, that you can take that data and that analysis and then tell a story about why things need to change. Um, Joe, you and I have both been uh, um, candidates. We've both been advocates for change in government, and it can be frustrating. Um, and you have to have a, uh, when you don't get that change that, that seems so obvious, right, um, that it needs to occur, um, you have to be effective at telling that story and, and that narrative. And I think we did that well with, with No Boston Olympics. I've done that um, in roles like uh, leading transportation for Massachusetts to advocate for better transportation policy. So, um, you know, I wish um, Senator DiZoglio the best in, in this new role that she's taking on. Um, she certainly has an ability to, to tell a story well, and I, I truly hope um, though she was my opponent in the primary, that she will be effective and that we'll all benefit from her leadership. Indeed. Well, uh, well said. So let's uh, change our focus from uh, from your race to uh, the topic of uh, your paper, one that you discuss specifically the challenges facing the MBTA with regard to safety. Uh, I'm not going to uh, spend much time uh, uh, helping our listeners or reminding our listeners of the many uh, safety incidents we've had with the T, some of them deadly, unfortunately, very, very terrible. Um, but I want to focus on your ideas for the future. How do we make sure the future is a, a safer one for the T than it is now? So let's start with where the T is now. Uh, we all get on, at least I do fairly regularly, and uh, assume I'm going to be safe. 
who is in charge of ensuring that I am safe when I take the tea? Yeah, let me start by saying that this paper was commissioned by the MBTA Advisory Board. The Advisory Board is the entity that represents all of the municipalities that receive MBTA service and which pay an assessment every single year, um, over $100 million uh, every year that those communities pay. So any of us that are taxpayers in those communities, it's something like 70% of all the state's population is fits into that. Um, category. So let, let's rattle off. Let's rattle off. It's a Quincy, Revere, Boston, and Brookline, right? It, uh, am I missing a whole bunch of others? Oh no, it, we're talking uh, over seventy communities and maybe oh, that's right. okay, including right. including commuter rail service, right? Okay. So yeah. there are different. We're getting in the weeds here. There's different zones. There's core communities that includes Boston, Cambridge, Brookline, Somerville. Then there's sort of the next ring out that have light rail service, like a a Newton or a Quincy. Um, and then further out are the commuter rail communities that, you know, have much less service and therefore pay a lower assessment or a lower rate. Um, but we all we all pay that through our property taxes. And it's important that the advisory board represents those communities to make sure that those dollars are being spent well. And, and through that, that fair payer dollars are being, being spent well, that general taxpayer dollars are being spent well, federal dollars are being spent well. So that's that's the role that they're playing here. And we are in this important moment for MBTA safety, mostly because of the significant number of issues and incidents that occurred and the um, unprecedented oversight that the Federal Transit Administration, the FTA, has brought to the T, but also because we're now with a new administration on Beacon Hill, um, new new players in the corner office. Governor-elect Healy has said that she wants to bring on a public transit or actually a broader transportation safety czar. And so we're in this moment of change and it's a, I think an opportune time for us to take a look at how the structures of safety and oversight at the T can be changed and reformed, contribute to that conversation. And I think will result in some legislative proposals and changes that I would expect would probably occur in Governor Healy's first year as governor. That's just me prognosticating, but I think it's likely that we're going to see change. The advisory board wanted to make sure that change was informed by the experiences in other states. Indeed. So, okay, that you've set the table well. Um, this is a time for change at the T. Uh, the governor-elect has uh, uh, suggested a, a safety czar would be a, a good uh, focus of that uh, change, but your paper uh, sort of takes us from where we are to where you we might go. So, again, getting back to my question, who, who, where are we now? Who, who is in charge of our safety on the T now? Yeah. So the MBTA has a safety chief and, a, and really dozens of employees that are dedicated to the day-to-day -day safety of the MBTA. That is an enormously difficult job, um, moving hundreds of thousands of riders a day, thousands of employees, uh, equipment, some of which has been around for literally a century and is um, still um, supporting uh, the system that we all know today. Uh, and I, I agree with you, Joe. I know you're a regular rider. I am as well. This is the first time in my life where I have genuinely questioned my safety when getting on an MBTA vehicle. Um, it's that concerning where we are. So you've got the team inside the T. Um, then, of course, you have a number of oversight entities, including the MBTA board of directors, including the legislature, 
But there's another group that I think has gotten much less attention in, in recent years, which is essential to providing safety oversight at the T, and that's the Department of Public Utilities. Those of us that are working in Massachusetts public policy know the DPU as the entity that oversees regulated utilities, um, particular gas and electric utilities. They also have an important transportation safety role, and that comes out of their oversight a century ago of railroads and streetcar systems. It's sort of a, a legacy function for them. But I will admit to you, Joe, and there are others that, that worked in transportation that will say the same thing, that the DPU has not played a significant role despite having that legal authority. It has not had much of much impact on the way that safety is seen uh, and perceived and reformed at the MBTA. That has changed in the wake of the Federal Transit Administration stepping in and really calling on the DPU to do a better job through something called the State Safety Oversight Program. And so the, the purpose of the focus of this particular paper was what makes sense for the State Safety Oversight Program, the SSO program, which is a federally mandated program currently operated by the DPU, but potentially operated by a new entity going forward. So this is important. I, I'm glad I learned a lot from your paper, um, not the least of which is there is a federal mandate for a safe, an independent safety organization, the SSO, State Safety Organization. Um, and they have, uh, as you point out, owing to largely a legacy of oversight, they have uh, the DPU is our functional SSO, right? So Correct. that's the link between federal and state. Uh, the T, as you say, has a staff that manages itself, but uh, things being what they are, it's nice to have an independent oversight and perhaps even one that's accountable to the federal government from which many dollars do come, right? So they essentially, there's carrots and sticks involved with the federal government saying, you know, you can have your uh, your tea, but uh, we want to make sure there's an independent agency overseeing the safety. So, uh, but as you also point out, it's the same uh, agency that uh, oversees the safety of, of much larger utilities. So they've got a lot on their plate. Your paper points to the fact that the DPU um, the safety entity that oversees the T is a relatively small portion of the DPU. Share with our listeners, how small of a portion is this yeah. federal SSO within DPU? Yeah, it, it's less than 5% and maybe as little as about 2% of their budget and, and their um, employee base. So um, it's, a, it's a small fraction of their portfolio. If you look at the enabling legislation for the DPU, there are three commissioners. The three commissioners are required to have experience working in regulated utilities, uh, including natural gas and electricity, they are not required to have any transportation experience whatsoever. And it's just not um, the, the core function of, of what they do uh, historically and even today. Now, um, I wanna be clear that I appreciate that the DPU in the wake of the Federal Transit Administration stepping in, has started to staff up and bring on more expertise. They are taking this problem seriously, but I think they would even admit that they have not traditionally um, played the role that they could. They have not been a, been a robust, independent overseer to the MBTA. And, and, and I don't blame them, again, given that um, they have so much on their plate when it comes to these other, other areas. You can see historically, why these were all put together in one entity a century ago. But I think our paper and other commentary raises real questions about whether it makes sense going forward. Yes, indeed. I don't want to beat it, beat it to death, but from your paper, 
Um, the FDA has criticized DPU um, in its 2022 SMI report that, quote, DPU has not used its authority to ensure the identification and resolution of safety issues at the MBTA, and DPU has been slow to complete corrective actions to address safety concerns. So essentially, your, your paper begins by saying, regardless of why uh, the DPU is not effective as an oversight entity, um, um, it isn't. The, uh, the federal agency that that reviewed uh, the DPU said, look, you're not getting the job done. I think that's sort of the, the predicate for your paper, which is to say, well, then, what what could we change to uh, to to get it done? Uh, did they specifically in this report uh, cite what it is that the DPO isn't doing? Um, is it a, uh, um, a funding? Is it a staffing? Is it a you know organization? What what did the FDA say was reason for the DPU's inadequate oversight? So so there's a lot there, and I would encourage folks that really want to dig on the details here to to read some of the FTA report, which is which is 90 pages. It came out in late August of this year. Um, and I, I will note here, um, I use the word unprecedented for the FTA's um, decision to, to step in here. Um, there is only one other example in the history of the FTA of them stepping into the degree that they have on the MBTA. And that's with WMATA, uh, the, the Washington metropolitan area system, the Metro subway system in Washington, DC which in many ways is a federal entity because of the unique nature of, of DC. So this is really the first time in the FTA's history that they have stepped in to a state controlled agency and said, we are so concerned about the reports that are coming out of, uh, of Massachusetts that we are going to uh, essentially take the reins here and step in. That's how concerned they were and that's how concerned all of us should be about um, about this situation. Um, so, so look, they, you know, when they, when they looked at the DPU, which is just one component of their broader assessment of the MBTA, um, they, they found that there wasn't sufficient staffing. They found that the DPU was not following up on all of the recommendations that the FTA had made in a prior review of the DPU's oversight. Um, there was not sufficient expertise. So, uh, in the, in the staff of the DPU, um, so, um, this is a you know this is a a serious um, um, set of concerns that the FTA has, um, and it makes clear that there's real work to be done. So uh, I think our listeners would not be satisfied if the DPU simply said we'll try harder next time. Uh, your part paper um, suggests the structural changes, and you really lay out two choices to uh, take the role of the the SSO role away from the DPU. Again, it's just there by virtue of some legacy of them overseeing um, railways um, and, and move it somewhere else. And there are really two categories of, of moving it, either to a new agency or to some independent uh, level. Um, describe for our listeners what the what you perceive to be the pros and cons of, of uh, let's say, moving it to a different agency. What are the candidates? Where, where might it better fit? Yeah. And you touched on this earlier, Joe, um, but to be clear, the, the FTA requires that the SSO be an independent agency, independent from the transit agency and be funded separately from the agency. Um, now, not every state has the same governance structure for transit that Massachusetts does. And just here's just one example, the CTA in Chicago, uh, one of the, the three largest transit agencies in the country, um, 
it's really operated and managed by the city of Chicago. And so the the state of Illinois is separate enough that whatever they do and decide is going to be independent from the city. Um, that's clearly not the case in Massachusetts, where the governor appoints the members of the MBTA board of directors uh, and has significant ability to uh, influence the, the budget of the MBTA. So um, so that would not be an the FDA is going to require some independence here. Um, so there are a set of, of entities that um, that could fit. Um, one is the Office of the State Auditor, and we say that in the paper. Um, it's it's independent. It's it's elected independently, and um, and could play that that role. Uh, another would be the Inspector General. Uh, now the Inspector General is appointed by three people, one of whom is the Governor, but there's also the Attorney General and the Auditor. So. According to the FDA's guidelines, that would be sufficient independence from uh, from the governor to be able to play that role. Um, and, and so I think those are the two um, sort of best possibilities. Um, you could you could think about others. Um, it's not clear to me that either of those make a lot of sense because of this, the the special and unique skill set that's required for for. Um, transit safety and oversight it's it's not the job of the of the state auditor today and their team to put on hard hats and walk into tunnels and inspect concrete um, or to have the skill set to assess whether uh the uh the operators at the occ the operations control center in downtown boston that operates our, our subway and light rail systems um that they're meeting best practices uh, you could build up that that function uh, and that ability over time, um, but it would be a little bit of a unique thing within either of those offices, uh, both of which are more focused on on sort of um, broader management best practices and then looking for financial improprieties, which is a, a really important thing. That's not the focus of the SSO, um, and that's and that's partly why we think it may make sense to create a a new entity here um, that is just focused on this unique and special role of transit oversight uh, and safety um, because of how specialized that skill set and requirement is. Now, you, you talked about two different aspects of why it might not be a great fit because, you know, generally auditors, as again, you you are an expert in that office, um, they're looking for, um, let's say, financial wrongdoing or, or say misappropriation of funds. This is a, some, uh, a task for very, very skilled accountants, perhaps, right? Yep. Or lawyers. Uh, and what you're saying is uh, safety is not a generic uh, concept or or um, a good management is just not a generic concept. You need uh, uh, subject matter expertise to really effectively ensure uh, safety within something as specialized as the T. You also hit on a little bit of um, the notion of where these organizations get their leadership from. In almost every case, the governor has a hand in that. Is there is there um, a concern? Uh, the governor also appoints a lot of the leadership of the T. Yeah. Um, also, then it would be appointing um, uh, leadership of of this SSO organization wherever it resides. Is there a conflict there, knowing that the the all, all the people sitting around the table have uh, have a friend in the in the uh, governor's office and therefore can't truly be uh, independent from one another? Yes, and that's why the FTA requires that that separation. Frankly, it's it's not actually clear that the DPU meets that requirement today because of the influence that the governor has over the DPU. Um, but the idea here is to is to have an entity 
that is that is firewalled from the the politics of the of the transit agency. And um, I I can tell you, you know, knowing this firsthand um, in my experience in the Patrick administration, and um, it's also been true in the Baker administration, because the MBTA is such a high profile entity that is prone to, frankly, so many bad headlines. the the governor's office has a very very strong hand in the day to day operations of the of the MBTA and especially in how the challenges at the MBTA are communicated to the broader public. Um, I have heard stories in recent years, and I I don't mean this as a criticism; it's just an observation of um, draft press releases going up to the corner office from the MBTA and coming back with significant red lines about you know how uh the mbta communications team or general manager need to discuss a certain topic so that's how deeply involved the the governor is and you know as a transit advocate and transit rider i don't mind that i want a governor that's engaged and involved in the t because i I think it's important for a governor to take that leadership role for such a critical state agency but the downside there is that there there is a risk that um that folks become so concerned about some of these safety challenges that they are either willing to sort of look the other way or that um, when they find an issue, it's downplayed because it would be an inconvenient headline for a governor. I want to be very clear that I am not in any way accusing a current or a past administration of doing that. Uh, I'm just saying that um, we want to create systems and structures that reduce or eliminate that if possible. Uh, and so that's why the FTA requires requires it, and why we think it could make some sense here. So yes, uh, as the stakes go higher, the incentive to uh, underplay uh, events it, it also uh, goes up. So uh, we're not making any accusations, but we just say that there's an incentive both to have it be safe, and when it isn't safe, have those headlines remain uh, as small as possible. Um, sure. So let's then explore how to truly make an independent agency. I think your paper at least subtly implies that might be the path to go. And you do point out that um, it, was a, it was former Secretary of Transportation, Rayla Hood, who uh, upon looking at and, and reviewing our system, the Secretary of Transportation said, I think this SSO needs to be independent. Um, uh, so let's talk about that. What would that look like? Would it literally be an independent agency? Uh, and who would uh, um, appoint its leaders? Uh, and what would that look like? So we looked at two models here that I think could be instructive for Massachusetts going forward. The the first is the New York Public Transportation Safety Board, which was created in the 1980s uh, in the wake of some concerns around public transit safety. And that board oversees all public transportation safety across the entire state. Um, So a significant portion of that work and that focus is the New York MTA. Um, which is the vast, vast preponderance of public transit rides in New York State. It's you know by far the largest public transit agency in the country. It's something like 40% of all public transit rides in the country every day are just taken on the New York MTA, but also includes the, um, the upstate bus services, Long Island bus services, uh, the light rail system in Buffalo, which is a one-line right, light rail system. Um, so it is, it is statewide, um, and it is um, entirely independent of uh, of the day-to-day operations and management and governance of both the MTA and all of those other agencies 
that I that I mentioned. Um, it's been doing that job now for for over 35 years, um, and it is staffed professionally um, by um, by folks that are focused on only public transit safety, um, and um, I think could be a, a, again a helpful and instructive model for Massachusetts. Uh, it it certainly has its challenges, and um, to be very clear, uh, you know the the issues facing a small upstate um, 50 bus operation in in New York State um, is very different than the safety challenges of running the 456 line uh, on the east side of Manhattan. So um, they're not the same, and that's still a, a vast range of issues, um, but it but they're all housed in one place. And uh, again, it's seen as a, a somewhat effective organization. Um, the other model here uh, is the model that's used in Washington, D.C. I mentioned earlier that the FTA has only stepped in one other time, and that was um, with WMATA in, in Greater Washington. Um, that, that entity is, uh, is governed by the states of Maryland and Virginia and then by D.C. itself. Um, and the SSO there, in the wake of the FTA stepping in and saying that those states were not getting the job done, um, was was created as an independent entity focused strictly on the Washington Metro subway service. So it does, even though WMATA includes bus service, this entity does not look at bus service. It only looks at uh, the the metro rail service as a much more narrow focus doesn't focus on commuter rail or buses just on the subway system um, and it is um, it's a very impressive board of directors appointed by the two states and by DC um, and and management team um, the the executive director there has a, a PhD in transportation safety and was actually the director of safety at the New York MTA before taking the job. Um, it's it's clear from the appointments on the board that it is it is not a political board. It is a professional board, um, and that the the governors in Maryland and Virginia uh, and the mayor and city council in D.C. you know took that job seriously as they were creating that entity. Um, the other thing I'll just say here, and we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, is um, I, I don't want to give the impression that we think that the creation of these entities is easy. Um, this is going to be a significant amount of work uh, if the decision is made to transition this function out of the DPU and into a new entity. In, in Washington, it took about 18 months for um, that entity to sort of staff up and be stood up to the place where it could really take control. So we're going to need to show some patience and some understanding about the complexities here. Um, but both of those, those states, New York and, and the D.C. region, provide, I think, interesting models for us to consider as we move forward here in Massachusetts. So I want to pack, unpack some of the examples. You or you have two examples, both the examples. One is, in a sense, an independent agency that handles all mass transit, despite the massive size of, of New York, it's blended uh, Buffalo and, and, and the city uh, into one agency. Um, that seems, you know, it probably has its benefits, but also, you know, reasons it might not work well. The, the, the DC model goes in the exact opposite direction. If, if it's if it's not a train, we don't worry about it. So, um, do you have a preference? Do you do you see uh, Boston being more like um, New York? I can't imagine what that would be. That's where every bus and train in the whole state would be under this new agency, or more like um, uh, more like DC, where it's just perhaps even just light rail, 
and, and yeah. nothing else. I think you and I are both advocates of buses and think that, you know, that's probably the way we get the job done in the future. But again, we don't want to separate that out of the, you know, it's all part of the same system. So you want to think your bus is unsafe when your train might be getting more safe. So wh- where do you see uh, Boston, uh, the better analog for what we what we would do going forward? Yeah, Joe, it's a it's a great question. And I don't necessarily have uh, conviction about what the right model is here. It's probably an area for for further exploration. Some of the complication here or in the nuance is that we were focused on this SSO program. The whole origin of the SSO program was to cover a gap between railroad operations, including commuter rail that intersect with freight rail that are regulated by the FRA, the Federal Rail Administration, and um, buses, which have other forms of oversight for their safety, including um, in in most cases that they have to have a stamp from the registry of motor vehicles and be registered and be inspected on an annual basis. And so what the federal um, government found in the 90s is that there was this, this sort of gap for light rail and subway. Um, and that's what they're trying to address with the SSO. And, and so it fits very well, very elegantly with the Washington Metro system um, it, 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 in focusing just on that issue where, or, or that system where there were significant issues and, and the loss of life and, and real concerns that they didn't see on their commuter rail system or in their bus system. Um, uh, it's a lot to have uh, all of those things under one house in in New York, and I would be cautious about recommending this that the same thing happen in Massachusetts. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, no one wants to feel left out, right, um, of of the issue of safety. No one wants to feel if you're if you're riding a a bus in Worcester County, you don't want to feel like all of the attention and resources are going to the MBTA subway system and that you're somehow less safe because of that. And so I can see a a desire to say that we want to create sort of one-stop shopping for for transit oversight. Again, I am not saying that's the right answer or the wrong answer. Um, It it needs some more attention and thought, Um, but you're right to ask the question because it's it's a complicated and complex one. So your paper goes uh, to great lengths to go into the details of how how big the SSO within the DPU, now I'm alphabet city here, but the organization, I think your your, your paper rightly rightly points out, the budget is relatively small of the DPU. It's like as you say, two to five percent. You 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 carve out like four hundred thousand dollars directly de- dedicated to just the MBTA oversight. Yeah. Um, four hundred thousand dollars is a rounding error in a in a state that spends a billion dollars a week, right? Yeah. Um, how does it take so long, or how would it? Well, and you're you're in the trenches. You know, this is the, you know this inside and out. Why would it take eighteen months with all the caveats of saying, "Well, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day." Why would it take so long to roll that out and form a new entity with with a with a laser like focus on on light rail in in Boston, or you know, perhaps we include buses in there? Why why would it take so long? Well, I think I think one thing to point out here, and and I know you've covered topics like this on the podcast before, but. Um, I, I think we have a a dearth of trained professionals in this area of people that can that really have the right skill set um, and can mix the the technical skill set that is needed um, to do this job well with the sort of communication organizational management experience that's also needed to make sure that the organization is is functioning 
and and being effective as a team. So um, I, I think my, my sense is that a good chunk of uh, of the time here would be needed to really recruit and hire the right person to to run this office. Um, and I, my guess, um, based on my review of other SSOs in the state, is there's really only a handful of people in the country that are that are sort of well prepared to to do this job and take on this role. Um, and so I don't want to sound too pessimistic or cynical there, but um, this is this is not something where you can just post a job description on you know Indeed.com and and two weeks later you know the resume comes in and you're good to go. Um, you're going to have to to really be I think um, methodical about recruiting someone to this job, making sure that you're um, you're paying them sufficiently, setting them up to succeed, him or her. So um, uh, that's going to be that's going to be part of it. Um, Remember this: the SSO office here is is only part of uh, the safety solution. This is this is in addition to or overseeing the day-to-day safety operations that the T is supposed to have in place itself. So, so you should be spending more resources in the organization on the day-to-day safety. You know that should be tens of millions of dollars a year, and then you're spending maybe a couple million to have this SSO office that oversees, largely funded by the federal government, that oversees that safety entity within the MBTA, prods it, tests it, um, pushes it to be better. Um, Those are sort of the two pieces. And and our paper is focused on the SSO, but we can't forget how essential and critical funding safety within the T is going to be going forward. Indeed. So let's let's move forward into that brave new future where you do have this independent SSO led by this elite team of uh, people with unique expertise to do the job. How do they um, enforce? Uh, let's say I know I, I'm the best leader of my SSO. Uh, I see the problems. I see an imminent danger. What teeth do I have to uh, reach out to this massive organization, as you say, that already does have people dedicated to safety and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, this isn't safe. Stop, stop the presses. Let's fix this. Well, in some ways, this speaks to uh, what we what we talked about very early in our conversation on the state auditor's office is is sort of the bully pulpit, um, the need for the information that comes out of this office to be seen as as factual and fair, um, and for the leaders of this office to be able to communicate the issues, um, because much of um, uh, much of what they need to do are are develop these reports. Um, share them with leadership at the MBTA, the safety officers of the MBTA, but also with the broader public. Um, and the hope here would be that they are, their voice is seen as so credible that it's really not not plausible or, or politically viable or organizationally viable for the MBTA to continue without um, addressing the recommendations and making sure that they, they were meeting uh, the expectations or requirements of this office. That um, that the riding public, that groups like the MBTA Advisory Board, that the legislature, that the governor's office, and others would um, would help be part of the ecosystem that that enforces uh, this through um, you know through sort of soft power in in some ways. Um, so um, you, you know you could at the MBT you, you could the legislature could decide to um, to provide additional powers to the SSO. Um, and you know that's a that's an ongoing conversation. Um, but you could you could allow the SSO to 
to have the legal authority to shut down um, parts of the MBTA. Um, and if that didn't happen to, you know, have that brought to court, I don't think you necessarily want to, um, you know, arm the SSO with weapons and, uh, and enforce these, enforce these at gunpoint. Um, but you want to give them sufficient legal authority and, and sort of soft political authority uh, to make sure that their recommendations are taken seriously and acted upon. And ultimately, uh, who decides uh, which path we take? Is it is it the role of the governor? Is it the, the state legislature, or is it the, 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 the you know the entities themselves, the organizations themselves, that decide to uh, reorganize? Yeah, this is going to be up to the legislature. Uh, the legislature, and you know, I'm sure in partnership with with Governor Healy um, to decide the future here. I, I think the DPU is, and you know, I've been critical of them, or at least pointed out the critiques of others. Of them in this conversation, they're doing the right thing in staffing up now, adding folks to the team, and saying, "Look, we may not have this authority six months from now or a year from now, but we need to make sure we're doing our job better today." So I applaud them for doing that. Um, but ultimately, it's the legislature that that grants that um, that authority, that oversight authority, authority to the DPU. It's the legislature that can take it away and can create a new entity and and allocate the public resources. Again, I'm sure they will do that in partnership with the governor, who already, over the course of the campaign, said that she wanted to hire this transportation safety czar. I, I think um, these steps are consistent with what she has said she wants to do on the campaign trail. And it will be those folks coming together, um, informed, we hope, by the advisory board, by podcasts like this one, and additional um, reporting uh, uh, and other stakeholders. And then, of course, the FTA, um, who will have uh, significant authority in this conversation um, as, as again, an, an entity that has has sort of seen into the guts of the MBTA, seen that things are not working and, and that change is needed. Indeed. Well, we're getting, unfortunately, to the end of our time together. Uh, I just want to uh, acknowledge that, um, you know, though the T carries between 600,000 and a million people every, every day, uh, more people drive cars than take the T. So for our listeners who are listening and saying, oh, look, this is wonky. This is, uh, uh, you know, doesn't uh, impact me. Why should I care whether the T succeeds? I'm happy to be uh, safely ensconced in my car. Uh, you know, why, why should this matter to me? I'm, I'm setting you up for a nice uh, answer here. Um, remind our listeners why the T matters to those who don't take the T. Yeah. Well, the MBTA is absolutely essential to the economic future of Massachusetts. Uh, Joe, I'm sure you agree with this, that um, one of the things that makes Massachusetts special is that we bring the smartest people in the world together in very small spaces, whether that's Kendall Square or the Longwood Medical Area or down, downtown Boston. Um, and the innovation that happens through that agglomeration um, creates enormous economic power and potential and, and changes the world. And we saw that with the development of the Moderna vaccine. Uh, the Moderna vaccine is not developed in Cambridge without the red line. The red line was absolutely essential in making that happen. Uh, and that goes all the way back. Uh, we've talked a lot about history here, all the way back to a decision by the state legislature in 1899 to allocate some funds to have the red line go over the Longfellow Bridge, uh, and which it did not previously go to go to Cambridge. So um, we're benefiting from that investment. Um, and we have to continue to bring. The, the smartest, best educated, most innovative people together in those small spaces, which is only possible, again, with uh, with transit. And the other thing I'll just say, um, 
you know, for those that are just more focused on their own individual commute is that every person that takes an MBTA bus or rides an MBTA train is a person that's not driving. Um, we know pre-pandemic that Massachusetts had the worst congestion in the entire country. And that would only be worse if those MBTA riders were getting in a vehicle instead. So every driver is better off when, um, when someone's taking the T and not getting on the road in front of them and further slowing them down and creating congestion. So um, it's, it's an essential entity and organization. It's not working uh, well today for riders, for taxpayers, for the communities that it serves. It needs to be fixed. And this SSO reform, I think, is a small part of a broader arc that is needed of reform here. Uh, and so glad to make this small contribution and looking forward to many more future conversations about how we get the tea into better shape. Indeed. Well, we agree on this. I say you either love the tea or you love sitting in traffic. You know, you you choose, but uh, I would rather see the tea succeed for us all, for the benefit of us all. Well, we're at the end of our time together. Thank you very much for joining me today, Chris. This has been a a real interesting topic for our, our listeners, I hope. And uh, uh, I'm wishing you the best for your advocacy in uh, ensuring that the T is better functioning and safer for us all. Thanks so much, Joe. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to the next conversation. This has been another episode of Hubwonk. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are several ways to support Hubwonk and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. We would help others to find Hubwonk if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're grateful if you share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about future episode topics, I'd love to hear from you if you email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. Hubwonk.